0: The Boot Room, a new series looking at the ups and downs of professional football through
1: the eyes of former players. Well, uh, welcome to the Christians in Sport podcast. We're in the midst of the football season and in this little series, we're just talking to football people for a change because, of course, we go across the board lots of the time. In this series, I'm talking to players, coaches and leaders really at the heart of the game, who know it inside out, top to bottom, they really know football. Great that my guest today is Gavin Peacock, uh, played for lots of clubs, midfield, primarily striker at his best, played in the 10, uh, 1984 until 2002, a professional footballer, most notably in the Premier League for Newcastle United and Chelsea, though we'll touch on a number of the other significant clubs he played for. After playing, Gav worked in the media as a pundit. And then in 2008, he relocated to Canada to study theology with a view to becoming a Christian minister, which he is today. Uh, Gav's a husband to Amanda, father of Jake and Ava, and a pastor at Calvary Grace Church in Calgary, Alberta. And Gavin, we're having the chat across, across the Atlantic uh, on Skype. you all right? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good, Grant. It's a uh, good to speak to you. Top it. Well, it, it's just fab. We've known each other a long, long time and it's just great that you're on this podcast because I know the value of somebody who knows the game inside out from all kinds of levels and is unashamedly a follower of Christ and was throughout his whole football career. Mm. Uh, is a real rich theme of God being kind to us that we can have a chat about this, Gavin. So I'm going to just dive in and say to you that Having known you for a long time, one of the things that stands out about you, I'm going to quote you from something I've heard you say before. It's about your change of perspective when as a 17-year-old, a QPR, who were in what is now the Premier League and one of the top teams as a young professional. You said this, when I came to know Christ, in a funny way, I started to play better. I mean, I just always felt Christ was with me. I didn't rely on football for my identity anymore, and somehow I became a lot more relaxed. It didn't mean as much to me though I really loved it and I had a new confidence. And in a way, I was more relaxed about football. Now, it's funny for people to hear that about you if they played against you because you are a 100 watt bulb, full on top player, and yet football changed. Can you unpack that for those of us who would try and work that out?
0: Yeah, as you said, Graham, it's a matter of perspective and priorities. Before I was, uh, a Christian, um, football was my God, if you like. So if I played well, I was up. If I played bad, I, I was down, and so I'm up and down according to how I played. Uh, when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, all of a sudden everything changed because Jesus is God, and football was in its right place, if you like. So I could enjoy football as a great game, um, and and yet I was a Christian first, but a Christian footballer, um, and I could do my job. Um, to, for God's glory and all of a sudden then football doesn't mean as much because Jesus means more and yet football was it still meant a lot to me and 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 I could still play with with because I think a lot of people think oh when you when you become a Christian if you say things like that you know, you, you lose your competitive edge because you you know you it won't you say things like it doesn't mean as much it has to mean everything it has to be as Bill Shankly said, a, you know, more important than 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 life and death as it were. Um, but uh, but no, um, and I think to, here's the thing: taking my security and identity for, from Jesus and not football meant that I had a security that that was there whether I played well or not, uh, whether I was a footballer or not. And that kind of sense of uh, security and identity then allowed me to probably play the best that I could. That's what I mean about actually, I actually end up playing better. It doesn't mean to say that well, you become a Christian that, that everything goes amazingly well in your life, not at all. In fact, you, know, you, you can suffer lots of different things as we'll probably talk about. Um, but that was the perspective change. That was the, the motivation change as well uh, that I wasn't just playing for myself anymore I was playing for God under God but I could enjoy the game and uh, and it, worked, actually, it was actually about six seven months after I became a christian I actually made my my debut my first team debut
1: I think in your in your lifetime in football Gavin you know that that sort of 84-ish period what you just said earlier was probably very prevalent if you were religious as people would call it or a christian or a born again christian the perspective would be that you would lose your edge, that you would get soft that you'd become a bit of a bible thumper and and not be tough enough to be a pro and indeed we're conscious that we were asked that question many times i was asked as somebody working for christians in sport about that you did change that perspective both I think God changed you, and you changed the perspective in professional football in our country of what this meant to be a Christian who was a full-on pro. But let, let me just change the gear on that. I'll move it up a little bit then. It, you weren't just a good player at the top level. Uh, at pretty much all the clubs you went to as you grow older, you were captain. Captain wow. certainly at Newcastle when you got promoted and, and went into the Premier League. Captain at Chelsea and a real Top names, Glenn Hoddle, Rude Hullett. So I've heard you say before the dressing room is the place where you need to handle yourself or you've no chance in football. Just unpack that a little bit for me, particularly, I think, with regard to being the captain of Newcastle and at Chelsea, where you had massive names, Rude Hullett, Mark Hughes, just to name two. How did you lead? And did your faith have any bearing in the way you were the leader of men in a dressing room?
0: Well, first of all, I always say, you, if you can't handle the dressing room, you won't handle uh, you won't handle the crowd. You won't be able to handle it on the field. So the dressing room kind of it becomes a kind of testing area, as you know, for for your character, for your resilience. You've got to be able to take stick uh, from the lads. You've got to be able to bounce back from it. You've got to be able to kind of handle the the quick fire nature of it because. And I think it's the case you know, across culture. When you're in any kind of high pressure situation, high pressure environment or culture or demographic, it's relieved a lot by humor and also by giving and taking of, uh, of, of that humor, of that stick. And being able to laugh at yourself a little bit, being able to not take yourself too seriously um, in the light of the other uh, guy. So there's a kind of certain humility that it can breed but as a christian of course i'm not ultimately confident in myself i'm confident in christ who is with me throughout i don't actually take my uh my uh, satisfaction in being thought of well by others um but by being in a right relationship with god and 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 that was how i was able as a christian for all of my football career to handle the dressing room to handle the 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 stick and to do that in a in a christian way if you like um, so I got involved with the lads with the with the banter and, uh, and and appropriately so um and and I think that then that enabled me to kind of be a Christian but be with the lads in the dressing room, so oh this guy's not kind of someone that can't join in with us or or be one of lads and at the same time, they knew where I stood and how I walked as as a Christian man in the dressing room and I think there was I got a lot of stick but at the same time. Everyone got a stick for different things. And, um, and then they were able to kind of respect that. And then the, the question is, can you, could you do that on the, on the field? Um, and, I, and I think in terms of the leadership stuff, I think that I was competitive. I wasn't like a, a kind of out there in tackling everyone. I mean, tackling is overrated, Graham, as you and I know. <laughs> you know, you get hurt if you're going for tackles. No, I mean, I could put my foot in, but that, that wasn't necessarily how I was a competitor. I was aggressive in my mind. I wanted to win, and, and there's nothing wrong with that as a Christian. He's wanting to win within the rules of the game. Um, and I think some of my managers saw that there was obviously a level of ability. There was a level of competitiveness and a level of example that then other guys would probably respond to and want to follow. Um, And with all those things combined, then
1: I got made captain of all my teams. I'm interested in the perspective uh, that I'd like to draw out that, again, I've heard you talk about before, that early on in your career, your belief in Christ, your confidence in Christ, as we've just touched on, allowed you to be almost free for the banter and to be yourself but to draw lines. Um, And and yet, as your career goes on, through beyond Chelsea, you go to QPR, when you're towards 30, you go back to QPR, you say your leadership changed. I think it was Kevin Keegan who said to you at one point, uh, something about not just leading by example, but by leading by not quite care. How did your leadership change? Do you want to unpack that for us? As yeah, came? I think that as I matured
0: as a as a player, but also as a Christian man, there's that there was that sense of growing responsibility, that sense of a more of a, a fatherly care for the lads around me, um, and uh, an increased sacrifice. Doesn't I mean that the heart of proper leadership is sacrificial leadership. I mean, Keegan himself said, "You know, best leaders he ever played for were those that, uh, when you could do no more, they pick you up and carry you." And I thought that was a great mm-hmm. visual of uh, of great sacrificial leadership. And he was that kind of leader on the field himself, um, leading from the front. But I think as I went on in the in the game, just matured, there was, and as you do, uh, you get a bigger view, a broader view of things. Um, and so my care then for the, the lads, the conversation that I'd have with, with guys was realizing, you know, more and more guys were coming in from other countries. We had players coming in from Finland and Holland and I realized, you know, these guys are actually trying to settle in a new country and play football. For me, I got home, I've got my family around me. Um, I, I've got extensive friends, but they, they just went home to their digs. Now, of course, emigrating, you realize now, oh, wow, it's just us. Now I've done that in a very big way coming to Canada in the last 10 years. But that kind of stuff, um, kind of caring for the lads uh, off the field
1: as well as on it um, was big. Uh, As you've grown older then, you're in this leadership position at the highest level of professional football. Um, What we haven't touched on is any detail about the fact that in talking about Christ, uh, even in our prep, you know, we talk for this podcast uh, and you say, you know, do you want me to explain what Christ has done for us? It's so intuitive to you and has been since you are a young man to make sure that you communicate the Christian message. Take me back into your dressing rooms now. Yes. We've talked about a banter and anyone who's different in any way, color mm-hmm. kind of your hair, what nationality you are. It is always banter. Yeah what was the conversa- how did the conversation work when you were so keen to explain what Christ had done for you and for your teammates what did you have difficulties with that were you well received what- how did it pan out in the real world yeah um probably difficult to remember all the details i remember straight away that i was
0: honest with the lads at uh, qpr and told them i was a christian and literally i think maybe the Monday after, you know, my f- first day in church as a Christian. Um, and uh, and it sort of went around the training ground, oh, people, I was a Christian, and and then there was a bit of banter. Um, so there was that kind of immediate sort of response. I guess I was, uh, it wasn't, you know, obviously I'd be keen to, to tell people. At the same time, I was nervous. It wasn't like I was, you know, oh, hey, ho, I've got all the answers here and I'm... No, I mean, there were times where... It was it was pretty nerve wracking to actually say something. And maybe if I look back, there might have been times where I didn't say something because I was scared. You know, it wasn't like I'm some amazing, you know, per, perfect uh, Christian um, uh, uh, evangelist or something. No, I was a young guy, and so I faced those challenges early on. And um, and yet I felt, you know, I just think in the Bible tells you if you honor God, God will honor you, and um, I think by sort of making that first of all open confession that I'm a Christian, um, re- receiving a bit of banter and you know laughing off a little bit, and then letting them just see if my walk match my talk, I think that's clearly a, a testimony. And then um, it, it opened up for different conversations over over time with different players that you never really think would ask about Christianity. Um, and then I became more aware of through Christian sport relationship with you and others, other Christians in football and started to realize, well, there was one or two other Christians in, in London area that, and then we had a London Christian footballers Bible study for a few years when I was at, uh, Chelsea there. Um, and so I think, uh, people became used to the fact that I was a Christian. Um, the lads in the dressing room, the banter can only last, so long and then they get tired of it but then it comes back again and they might make little quips about being a reverend or, or, or this or that. But I think just deep down they did respect it. I could probably handle a little bit of that stuff in the dressing room with the banter as well
1: so that was, uh, that was helpful for me surely. Without, without a doubt Gavin, and I'm going to hear a story because, because you were so public yeah. as, a, as a leader and as a Christian. Um, you must have had banter on the pitch when you're bossing a game somewhere, and some centre half or some holding midfielders trying to dig you out. Yeah, yeah, I had a,
0: a, a few times, and I was playing at Newcastle once, and uh, I think it was against Derby or some someone up there at St James's, and centre half was, you know, I was running him ragged a little bit, and he's calling me a bible basher, and he punched me on top of the head because he was that much bigger than me. Um, but at that point, I knew I'd got to him. So I didn't really, I didn't have to respond with anything else than just carrying on and, and torturing him a little bit. Um, yeah, it, you know, it, listen, you know, we, what, can, what can man do to you? You know, if, if, if Christ is for you, what can, what can man do to you? And it really, again, comes back to that, that, that Jesus is bigger in my eyes than the, than, the, than the fans, that any opposition that I might uh, receive. Um, And it doesn't mean to say that it doesn't hurt because some stuff was nasty at times, but I can't, I I wouldn't say that, um, you know, that my career was marked by uh, horrific opposition publicly to my faith. There were moments, there was times um, where it did rear its head, uh, where there or two kind of nasty comments from uh, different players. Um, But overall, when I look at how some people have suffered for their Christian faith, um, mine, mine wasn't, wasn't up there as, as tough as some.
1: Can I ask you about the managers that you worked with? Um, I've, I've read a catalogue of them. I should start with your own father, because uh, you went to him at Gillingham from QPR before going to Bournemouth. Mm. Uh, but you started with Venables. Yep. You go to Redknapp at Bournemouth. I mean, you go to Smith, Jim Smith, Ozzy Adilis, Kevin Keegan, Chelsea Glenn Hoddle, Rude Hullett, Jerry Francis at QPR. I mean, this is a serious catalogue of top managers in your period in football, and indeed, in a wider period, top, top managers involved there. Yeah. How did How did your relationship with them... Work in the light of your faith as a player. Was there a particular dynamic, or was it just a more generic relationship? You'd say.
0: Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. Um, Well, firstly, there's a good bunch of players there, aren't they? (laughs) They make a great team. I remember a team out of that. My uh, testimonial match uh, was QPR, and I got Chelsea to come and play. at uh, Loftus Road and they brought the full team down and everything and in the program I wrote out these managers I play for in a team formation so what a team this would have been and of course Ian Holloway who was the last manager I played for I had to put him I think either on the bench or in goal because it's the only way I could get him in the team I think he was happy he was happy just to just be named in the 12. to be in that squad <laughs> to be in the squad um but yeah quite quite rare remarkable uh, when I look back at the quality of managers there I think um now all the managers knew that I was a Christian and um I think all of them very outwardly res- respected that to me I I never had uh, I never had any confrontation with a manager and he would say something, oh, it's because you're a Christian that you're not performing today. or it's because you've lost your age because you're a Christian. I didn't feel, there was nothing outwardly there. Um, obviously, all of them made me captain at some point. So there was, you know, there was some level of thinking I was a decent player. Um, I think, uh, no, I think I just tried to live, live my life and play the game um, as, a, as a Christian man and I think maybe something of the integrity of that shone through to them so that maybe they saw different aspects of my Christian faith come out maybe especially as I got older um so here's a here's a here's a uh an example of maturity and Christian maturity and the maturity of the man you know you're younger you're a bit more impetuous your head's down a little bit more in your own game and uh, so I'm a Christian but I'm still trying to grow and so at, at um, Bournemouth we get relegated under Harry Redknapp first season there that was the year you know nine, 1990 the Italia 90 and Harry had, himself had a, had a horrific car accident and all of this I went in and said I need to I need to move because I need to be like looking to get up the divisions and i remember thinking and harry was good he said well you know i don't think much of your timing this was like the the next week or something after got relegated and he said i don't think much of your timing but you know i understand what you mean and of course within a couple of months i had gone to newcastle which was a great move for me um probably a little bit more self-centered there um and if i was to speak to harry about that i might say listen i understand from your perspective you've got the whole club to think about and you've got one and I was his record signing, coming in saying they want to move. Probably not the best timing, as Harry said. Um, maybe even not the best witness at the time. Uh, but my overall relationship with Harry was one of integrity and honesty. And I think he, you know, respected that at the end. Then you fast forward at the end of my career. And, um, you know, I'm with uh, Ian Holloway and Kenny Jacket, And I'm trying to navigate a difficult situation where I'm the top play player. QPR are in a bit of financial trouble. Um, and I was trying to negotiate a deal where I wasn't greedy, but I kind of stepped out of things uh, for the, the sake of the club, as well as, you know, my own future. And, and Kenny Jackett just sort of pulled me aside and said, oh, just really notice the way you are with the younger players and the way you'll have a chat with them and a word with them and, and just kind of take them under your wing a bit more. So I kind of, the relationship with managers as I changed as well, got more mature. Glenn, uh, sorry, not Glenn, but Jerry Francis just had me in his office all the time as a senior player and you relate to me kind of in, in terms of you've got a whole career behind you that he can look at and say, yeah, and this guy's a mature guy and I can trust him and he kind of, I was kind of more of his mouthpiece on the field um, as I got older. So I, I've I benefited from good relationships with managers. I think one other thing that, uh, was helpful was when I was played out of position a few times, um, I hated playing out wide and sometimes I get stuck out wide um, and I think i was i think you know Again, doing your job for the team, even at the expense of your own games, just say, you know, took 10% or 15% off my game to have to play out wide for six or seven games in the season. Um, even though I hated it, I think I was called, called to do that um, as a professional and, and I got better at doing that as I got older as well. And that won my managers over, Ray Harford. I, Ray Harford is a QPR. Don't think I was his cup of tea as a midfielder. He liked two holding midfielders uh, in front of the back four and the way they'd done it at Blackburn when he was Kenny Dalglish and they'd won the, the the Premier League. And I don't think he really fancied me. And he asked me to play a holding role in midfield when I was around about 30 years old. I remember uh, thinking about, and he had a bit of a flare up with John Spencer in training uh, I think, look, you know, he's come into the situation. He's got a job to do. I'll just do my job as best as I can. and literally pray that God gives me the ability to do it because I've got to really adapt to something I'm not used to doing. Well, actually, I did all right. And he kind of, I won him over a little bit, you know. Uh, even though I've been, I'm best when I'm released to go forward a bit, I was doing a decent job for him. and You know, Ray, Ray died a, a few years later, very sadly. But, um yeah, that was a nice thing to, to be able to have someone that really didn't fancy you at first, but kind of be able to win him over through a good ethic on the field, I guess. And I put that down to having that view of uh, Christ above football uh, that football didn't mean as much as Christ does.
1: Well, look, that leaves hanging the most obvious of all questions uh, to our listener. I mean, they, they must be listening now, saying, hang on, why isn't he a manager? Uh, yeah. Why is Gavin Peacock not a manager? Because the way you speak, your leadership, the relationships with managers, did you think about it? Mm. Oh yeah,
0: no, I mean, I, I, and again, you know, being a, so being, leadership's been in my blood. My dad, the leader, you know, captain of Charlton Athletic, a manager, coach, all his life, uh, you know, would encourage me to, at age six years old, I had a little local football team. I got together all the lads and kind of did that. So I kind of always had leadership, I think, in in my blood. My manager said, would you you fancy going? remember Jerry Francis pulling me, said, you'd be a good manager, do your badges, blah, blah, blah. Um, I love to kind of like cast a vision of where you can go, give you the train tracks to get you there, and then give you the love to fuel you. That's the kind of three strands I think that players need. Um, and that uh, any kind of leadership needs. Um, so that kind of did appeal to me. I remember you and I spoken about it before, standing up in the dressing room when QPR were, were struggling and the players were pushing back a little bit behind the scenes against Jerry, and I stood up and I knew that we had to follow Jerry Francis, he's the manager, and, and I stood up and kind of gave a bit of a speech to the guys. Something in me stirred then about speaking to men and directing them um, but i just didn't feel it was my vocation i'd seen my dad up close and personal manager for eight years with gillingham and, and maidstone so i lived in the house i saw how all-consuming it was um, then as a player through all the, you know seeing it up close with these with these top managers i, I knew it had to be a calling if you like the media stuff was coming in. BBC were calling me. Said, "Would you want fancy doing that?" So I went with that. It again, it was communication. I loved to kind of put across to the public insights into the game. I, I really enjoyed it. Even then, though, even though it was going better than I could imagine, um, I, I didn't think it would be forever. And uh, so, in the end, the church leadership. So I am in leadership uh, with a lot of principles that you would apply, um, in the, in the game of football, football management, you can apply lots of, I mean, the Bible speaks so much about uh, sporting images. Um, so, uh, that's where I am now. So I think there was that leadership there, but God wanted to use it for, uh, for, for church leadership rather than than in, than in football. I did coach out, out here in Canada I coached high school football soccer for six years. Uh, really in, enjoyed that very much. Um, but but this is what I think I'm in call to do, certainly for this foreseeable future in the church.
1: Gavin, one of the things uh, that are probably worth touching on here is when you're a very famous player, uh, going to anything in public is quite difficult. Uh, we've talked about the meetings that you hosted for players and their families around London when you were at Chelsea. What was your own church-going experience like mm. from the time you became a Christian through to the end of your career in the public arena? Was it helpful? Mm.
0: Uh, well, it was, it's necessary to be part of a local church for your uh, growth as a Christian, for sure. It, it, absolutely necessary. Um, you know, I had to move around a little bit, uh, so I had to move churches from Barnhurst to Bournemouth, um, but uh, in Bournemouth, I sort of came under the wing of uh, Tony Roke, who's a, a vicar down there and a football guy as well, loved his football. Um, and then went up to Newcastle. Um, again, you know, God brought me a guy called Ken Mulder and, um, I was involved with Ken a a little bit and then came back down to London and settled down in London. And we were involved in our local, um, Anglican church for 10 to 12 years. Um, so I had a, I always had a church base, even though I had to move around a little bit. Um, secondly i had good men in my life who were like mentors that would and you being one brand um that i can get on the phone to at any time speaking to my life guys who understood me understood football and the, and the and the certain pressures of football as well and that i could kind of relate to a little bit that could keep me on track give me a gee up I, I knew would be praying for me um uh as I was engaging in all the different activities that, you know, I needed to do. So local church life, good mentors and guys, a little bit older experience than me speaking into uh, my life. And, um, and even uh, above all that, um, a good and faithful wife, you know, my Amanda and I, you know, married now for 29 years, you know, my greatest helper is Amanda. The fact that I had her with me everywhere that we would Uh, we were together in every move that we made that she was sort of my greatest ally. And, you know, we, we'd be praying for me and, um, we could pray together and, uh, we could support one another, uh, was that, that great foundation after Jesus himself. So, um, it is difficult for professional sportsmen when they are now even more than, than ever playing Sunday football, especially at the top level. um, but often like I was able to manage that if I had a Sunday game, which was less so than, uh, I you know, get to church on a Sunday evening and, uh, you know, talented young kids when they're getting pressed to, to play Sunday football, they're Christian parents. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a difficult thing to navigate. At the end of the day though, you have to say that Jesus must mean more to you than football. And you've got to show that to your kids. Um, and and my, my, my motto to kids is, uh, football is great, but Jesus is greater. And and your parents have got to get that across to their kids. If they're putting football above, uh, Jesus Christ, that's going to come across their kids. And ultimately most kids don't make it to be a professional, uh, and all professionals are ex-professionals at some point, any medals I've ever won are rusting away in the loft somewhere. Um, but Jesus is there now and forever. And, uh, and that's what parents need to get across. Christian parents need to get across to their
1: kids who love, who love football. Thank you so much uh, for joining Gavin Peacock and I on the Christians in Sport podcast this month. Thanks for listening. Uh, class isn't it? A, a guy who who played at the peak of football unashamedly a Christian. If you're somebody who's not a Christian listening to this, you're listening because you really care about working these things out, Uh, come to the Christians in Sport website, Uh, just go christiansinsport.org.uk and and you'll find uh, plenty of material to help you think further and somebody who can chat to you about this. There'll be parents who've listened to this interview with their children in the system who want to say, yeah, you know what, I want my child to work out that Jesus is the most important thing and to work their career or passion for sport under the authority of Jesus. Gav spoke eloquently about that as a top level professional. We'd love to help you with with that as a parent and we're delighted to find ways to invest time in you if you have children in that situation. That's at christiansinsport.org.uk Well thanks for your time there'll be a new episode next month with another person who knows football inside out and is proud to be somebody who belongs to Jesus Christ. Finally, uh, you can find out more about our podcast and get hold of our podcast by going to Christians in Sport on any podcast app, and that's where you'll find out a whole list of people who know Christ, who are involved in sport, and might just help you on your way in your journey. Thanks for listening. Great spending time with you. See you next time.